Well, good morning, Branch Church. Here and all of our church family online, it's a blessing to be with you all this morning as we continue our worship to the hearing and the receiving of God's word this morning. Have you ever had a hard time in the faith? I mean a really hard time where you feel like, I don't know how I'm going to make it. I feel like at any moment I could just fall away. God, help me. I had such a moment like that where it felt like the devil just took his pitchfork out and he followed me everywhere. Poked me in the back, the front, the head, beat on my shielded face so hard I feel like I could hardly hold it up. And I wonder what in the world's going to happen to me? How am I going to make it through this? And at the end of the day, I would go back to the truths that God has taught me in scripture and I could not deny it. I could not forsake it. I couldn't get it out of my heart. It grounded me so strong, there was nothing I could do but fall on the truth of God and believe. And by God's grace and by the truth he revealed to me, I was able to keep going, to have strength and to have perseverance. This morning, we're gonna look at John chapter 14. And Jesus is about to leave his disciples. He physically will not be present with them anymore and they will have to learn how to live in his absence on this earth. But as he's getting ready to leave, what he's going to do and what we're going to learn in John 14 this morning is he is going to give them final beliefs to secure them in his absence so that when he's not around, they know what to think. They know how to feel. They know what to believe. They know what to expect. And the same things he told his disciples then is the same things that we are to know and to believe this morning. So if you would, please open with me to John chapter 14 beginning in verse one. John chapter 14, beginning in verse one together. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Jesus speaks, he says, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. Why would the disciples' hearts be troubled? Well, they're probably getting worried now. Jesus had shown up totally changed their life. And now he's going to leave? You ever had someone show up in your life, change your life, open your eyes, brought such a beautiful, and all of a sudden they're just going to go? And it's like, well, why are you going? Like things were so great now that you were here. Why would you leave? And he tells their hearts, take that heart that's starting to feel shaken and upset. Maybe you even feel threatened by my leaving. As D.A. Carson talks about. And you take that heart and you settle it. Don't be troubled. You believe in God, take that same belief and you put it in me. And that's where it starts, with faith, with belief in who Jesus is. And now watch Jesus build upon this. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and will take you to myself that where I am, you may be also. Jesus tells them he is going to prepare a place. What is he talking about? What place is he going to prepare? It's the Father's presence. It's dwelling with the Father. He is going to make a way where he's going to prepare the opportunity for them to dwell in the presence of God forever. How is Jesus going to prepare this way? Through his death and through his resurrection. And then Christians, believers, will be able to actually dwell with the Holy God once and forevermore. Now, Jesus says, he said, there are many rooms. Some versions even have the word mansions. The idea is not really a mansion. It's not so much a room. It's a dwelling place. And there's enough space for all of us there. 
Jesus says in verse four, he says, and you know the way to where I am going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? We don't know the destination. How can we get there? We can't even put that in GPS. Jesus, we're lost. Jesus said to them, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. So disciples are troubled. We don't know what you're talking about. Where are you going? How are we going to get there? Jesus becomes very clear now in this verse in verse six. Where is the destination? It's the Father. No one comes to the Father except through me. That's where he's going. That's where he plans to take them. And he makes very clear three very important truths. A fantastic memory verse for you young ones here this morning, John 14, six. He says, I am the way. Jesus is the only way to come and to be in the presence of the Father because he is the only one who can mediate the problem between you and God. Here's God, here's you. There's something in between. What is it? It's your sin. And only Jesus can take care of that. Why? Because he paid the price for that sin on the cross. Nobody else can do that. He is the only way. And not only that, he says, I am the truth. What does that mean? He is the truth of God who reveals the Father to us. We can actually know God because he spoke, because he came, because he acted, and we can be confident in that. Something John hits over and over again in the scriptures. When you see Jesus, you see the Father. And the third thing here is he says, and I am the life. Jesus is the only one that can give life. Remember, as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. Only Jesus can actually give you new life, eternal life, the quality of life that you were meant to have forever. We do not have to feel bad about saying Jesus is the only way, the truth, and the life. We do not have to feel bad. Jesus said it first. We are merely telling what he said, what he got from the Father. We do not have to feel bad to exclude every other faith or belief or ideological system that is outside of Jesus or in contradiction to him. Let me ask you a question. Would you feel bad for excluding poison from your child's diet? Of course not. Would you feel bad for excluding your toddler from playing in traffic? Would you feel bad for excluding your teenager from jumping out of a plane without a parachute? Of course not, because that's wisdom and that's truth. And you're going to protect them in the same way. We do not have to feel bad about telling people Jesus is the only way to come back to God, to know the truth of God, and to actually receive life from him. Hey, Jesus said it first, right? Verse seven, if you had known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it's enough for us. Just show us God and that's all we need and everything will be good. Yeah, right. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still don't know me, Philip? Ouch. Whoever has seen me, has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Jesus, just show us God and that's enough. What is it that they're not getting? 
They are not getting the unity of the Father and the Son. Remember Jesus said in John 10, 30, I and the Father are one. So when Jesus speaks, he speaks the words of the Father. When Jesus acts, he does the very actions of God. He only does what God says. He only does what God has shown him and what God wants him to do. It is so important that they get this and that we get this, so much so that listen to verse 11. Jesus says, believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else, if you can't believe on what I say, Jesus says, believe on account of the works themselves. For who can do what I'm doing if he were not one with God? In these first 11 verses, we see the first major specific belief Jesus leaves with the disciples as they're going to need to know in his absence. And what is that specific belief? Jesus is the only way to God the Father. He is the only way to God the Father, the only one who fully reveals him that we may come back and be with him. Now, how does this belief secure us in his absence? How would it secure the original disciples in his absence? Simply, it secures our search for salvation. We are looking nowhere else. We are looking to no one else to actually save us and to make us right with God. Why do they need to know this? People are going to show up and Jesus knows this after he leaves in his physical absence and they're gonna say something like this. Jesus has been gone all this time because I'm the guy now, listen to me. Have you heard of a gentleman named Muhammad? Have you heard of the Islamic faith? This is exactly what happened. Some 500 years into the physical absence of Jesus on the earth, Muhammad shows up in a sense and him and his followers begin to say, oh yeah, Jesus was a prophet but he's not the son of God. In fact, that's blasphemy. You can't say he's the son. God has no son. And, and he, he died on a cross. No way. Prophets don't die on crosses. That's, that's humiliating. That's horrible. That's a picture of God's curse. There's no way. And so as Christians in the, in the sixth and seventh centuries, what do they do now? Oh, 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 do we, do we give in? Is, is this really from God? And they go, no, we know what he told us. I'm already secure. In fact, everything you're saying is in complete contradiction to him. What you're teaching is false wrong. You're excluded from salvation. You need to repent. Don't come to us with this new faith. You got it completely wrong. We've seen different forms of this over the centuries. People show up, not Jesus, but me, to not Jesus, but you. You're your own God. You figure it out. Not, not one way, but many ways. Not one way, but there's no way because God doesn't really exist, they might tell you. Here's the, here, here's the truth though. And here's what secures us in his absence. We know the way to the Father. And we know he says he will come back to take us to that place he has prepared for us. So we rest secured and we're okay. I'm not worried about it. Jesus continues here in verse 12. He says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I'm going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. The second major belief that Jesus gives them is he's going to be working through his disciples. He's going to be working through the church in his absence. So it's like, I can't see you. Where are you? And he lets them know three things. I'm going to keep doing my works. There's going to be greater works. And there's a thing called prayer in my name that you need to be aware of. 
works. People are going to be doing awesome things. What do we see the apostles do immediately after Jesus raises and ascends to the Father? They carry on his miraculous works. Blind, see, can't think of a specific one. Uh, Peter and John, they, they, uh, in the name of Jesus, get up and he walks. Pa um, Paul raises someone from the dead, showing what? That the work of Jesus is still continuing. Now here's the kicker. He says, greater works, greater works. What is greater than raising someone from the dead? I can't think of one. Multiplying somebody? Like <laughs> making someone invisible? Stretching like Stretch Armstrong? I mean, what, what's better than raising someone from the dead? Here's what's the greater work. It's the preaching of the gospel. It's salvation and people being born again of the spirit. That greater work has been entrusted to the church. And it's the greater work now that can take place because Jesus has finally died, secured salvation, risen from the dead, ascended to the Father. Now we can preach the completed works of the Messiah and people can be born again and filled with the Spirit from heaven. That's the greater work. That's what has been entrusted to us as a church. There are gospels of John back there on that table. I encourage you, take one. Put it in your, your purse. Just put it in the glove compartment of your truck. Keep it in your desk at work and keep it because people need to know and need to see God's words. And the Gospels of John there, the first few pages is a simple explanation of the good news. And then after that, it's the actual 21 chapters of John that we're going through right now. At the very least, tell somebody, I care about your soul. Would you please read this? I think we could all at the very least say this. I care about your soul. It's so important to me that you, would you please read this and tell me what you think? At the end of the day, I want the words of Jesus in front of people even more than I want our testimony in front of them because the power of God's word is undeniable. Works, greater works. In his absence, he's also going to be hearing prayers in his name. What does that mean? Well, Jesus' name, that is not some magical incantation that you get to use. All right, Jesus, today I want a Ferrari in Jesus' name, mine. Is that what you get to do with his name? Jesus, that guy's bothering me. I want you to take him out today in Jesus' name. Thank you very much. Imagine what, how, how horrible it would be if, we, if Jesus gave us everything we asked for just because we said in Jesus' name. My kids ask me for things all the time. And as a father, I have to weigh so many various things to give them the best response. When we pray in Jesus' name, we are simply coming on the authority of Jesus to the Father because he has provided that way. And we are praying in line with the character and the will of Jesus. That's all a part of it. We have to take all of scripture together before we take a verse like this and just say, we can get whatever we want, whenever we want. So what does that mean? In Jesus's absence, we can pray and we can know for certain that God hears us because Jesus takes those prayers to the Father. Isn't that amazing? If he did not tell us this, you might wonder, does God really hear us? Is he really listening? Where is he at? We know where he's at, the throne of heaven. Jesus is at the right hand and they hear what we ask for and make the best decision according to that. And that is wonderful. The second specific belief here, Jesus is still working through the church, doing great works, greater works. Jesus is still hearing our prayers. How does that secure us? It secures us to know what Jesus is still doing. The plan has not changed. And what's the plan on that? He's doing all this to the glory of God the Father. Do you realize that you have a purpose on this earth? 
I used to think it was playing sports, going to be rich and famous and really cool. But I was wrong. That wasn't my purpose. And I'm thankful for that. I don't think I could have handled it. I don't really want it. But my purpose has been redirected because of Jesus to give God glory, to bear fruit that he would be honored, that he would be recognized, that he would be known. The best thing I could do is help you to see Jesus a little more, help you see God a little more. Not because I'm great, but because he's great. We're simply post signs on a road saying, look over here. The post sign's not really be that beautiful, right? We see post signs all the time. But if you saw a post sign that said, look at that beautiful sunset, you'd be like, wow, that sunset's amazing. Thanks, sign. And that's about it, right? Thanks, sign. God is beautiful. God is wonderful. And we have been entrusted with the gospel. We have been entrusted with the task, with the purpose of making him known. How wonderful is that? Let us not lose sight of our purpose. Do you realize you have purpose as a Christian? It is to know him and to make him known. Verse 15, Jesus says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And I will ask the father and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. The third specific belief Jesus gives the disciples to know in his absence is that they are to keep his commandments. You are to keep his words. We must be aware that we don't turn love with God into just a purely emotional thing, an emotional relationship where we just feel God. No, you can feel God. You can feel love. Love can deeply enjoy its object, absolutely. But part of that loving God has to do with obedience, making his word your ultimate authority. Have you made the words of Jesus your ultimate authority? What does this do for us in his absence? It tells us what we're to follow. It's the guidebook. It's the manual. He's not here having one-on-one -on -one conversations in the physical present with us, but he has given us direction in what we're to do, what we're to believe, and how we're to act as a church. We have everything that we need. Isn't that wonderful? And you think, how in the world am I supposed to keep his commandments? It sounds really hard. Well, look what he has given us. Verse 16, he has given you the helper. He has given you the power of the spirit, the same power that puts life into people. That spirit enables us to know and to obey God's word. And one day when Jesus comes back, when evil is dealt with, the new heavens and the new earth are set up, we will be dominated by the Holy Spirit. We will have what is called glorified bodies and you will be able to obey. And that's all you will be able to do is to do the right thing. That's so awesome. Sign me up for that. I wish I could do that right now. Don't like not doing the right thing. Doesn't feel great, does it? And what's great about this, the spirit who's the helper is he comes alongside and he will be with you and in you forever. And it's a gift. It's a gift. Jesus says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. He's already told them this, but now he throws this idea of orphan out. You're not going to be orphans. I am going to come back to you. If you have little kids or you know little kids, you've probably come across Daniel Tiger. Daniel Tiger is Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood in a cartoon. And they had this episode about kids going to school and then being dropped off by their parents and having a hard time. And so they learned a song, grown-ups come back. <laughs> and so they sing it a lot. And eventually at the end of the day, the grown-ups come back and the kids are reassured as they're singing that song. For us, Jesus will come back. <laughs> he will not leave us as orphans. 
even though we can't see him, he will come back and he will save us. And we know this. Jesus says, yet a little while and the world will see me no more. Why? Because he will die and be buried. But you will see me. Why? Because of resurrection. Because I live, you also will live. That's the power of resurrection. And that day you will know that I am in the Father and you in me and I in you. The resurrection will clarify things greatly that they could understand the unity of the Father and the Son. Verse 21, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself to him. Look at the blessing here of keeping his words. There is fellowship with not only Jesus, but the Father. Judas, not Iscariot, said to him, Lord, how is it that you will manifest yourself to us and not to the world? I think logically he's thinking like this. If you show up to us, how can we can only see you, but nobody else can? Like that doesn't really register in my head. Here's what Jesus says. Jesus answered him, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. How will he manifest himself? God will dwell in and with you by the Holy Spirit for those who keep his words and believe in him. He says, whoever does not love me does not keep my words and the word that you hear is not mine, but the father's who sent me. He says, these things I've spoken to you while I'm still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and will bring to your remembrance all that I've said to you. The helper, the Holy Spirit will come and he's gonna do two major things. Enable them to keep Jesus' words, enable them to remember Jesus' words. It says the Spirit will teach them all things. I think this is a promise specifically for the apostles and the disciples here. The Spirit is not gonna teach them physics. The Spirit is not gonna teach them geometry or physical education. The Spirit is gonna teach them all things pertaining to Jesus and what he said and what he did. So they understand it. They're able now to write it and to pass it on to us as the church. So here we have the promise of they will know or they need to keep Jesus's words and they will know them because God will ensure they will know them by the Holy Spirit. Remember, they don't get everything that's going on in his life. Not until the Spirit comes does he open their minds and go, oh, that's what that meant. That's what was going on. Cling, and I think we've experienced that in our life, those of you who have believed in Jesus, the Spirit just opened your eyes. You're like, holy cow, I didn't see that before. Now it feels so clear. How does this belief of keeping Jesus' commandments, how does it secure us in his absence? It gives us our ultimate authority. We know who we're to listen to. A lot of competing voices in the world, yes? A lot of competing voices in this head, yes? But at the end of the day, where do we land? Where do we go to? We go to the word of God, and that is our authority. And not only does this belief give us our authority, it also tells us the helper who enables us to know and to live according to it. Jesus says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Jesus now gives them the specific belief that he is going to leave his peace with them. Not like the world, but his peace. What is the difference? What is this peace he's talking about? Well, let's start with the world. What is the peace of the world? The peace of the world has to do with when things are really great. Circumstances are good, I feel peaceful. Circumstances are not really good. How do you feel? 
You don't feel so good. You feel worried. You feel anxious. You don't have peace. So the peace of the world really is this subjective fluctuating thing, depending on how well things are going. It's not a great way to live because you're living by the moment and the moment can turn on you in a moment. <laughs> what is the peace of Jesus? Is it a feeling? I think it's not a feeling. I think it can become something you feel, but I think it's greater than that. I think it's a reality. I think the salvation here or the peace here is the salvation peace. It's the salvation, peace, and the lordship of Jesus. He leaves them the truth of these things. And because of the peace of these things, then inwardly, they can now think peacefully and feel peacefully. Do you see how that works? Peace actually starts from the outside and works its way in, not give me a peaceful feeling so then my mind can feel think peaceful and then things can be okay. No, Jesus gives us the reality of peace of what he has done. We believe that and then our emotions follow that. In a sense, our souls are placed in a safe. And Jesus is that safe. And people can kick the safe. You can light the safe on fire. You can roll the safe down the hill. But it's okay because I'm in Jesus and I can have peace. And when I was a sophomore in high school, I took physics. And we had a project we had to do. My partner did all the work, but I definitely was there. And he built, we had to build a rocket. And you had to shoot the rocket on the football field. And it had to hit the ground, but it had to protect the egg inside of it. People were creative. They put peanut butter around the egg. There were rubber bands so it could kind of shake but not hit the edges and stuff. We're kind of like that. Wherever Jesus launches us in this world and wherever we hit, whatever we hit, that egg, that, that egg we are on the inside, we're okay because of Jesus' lordship and his salvation that he has granted to us. Jesus cares about our mental states. Jesus cares about your mental state. He cares about the anxiety and the fear that you feel. And it begins tackling that with the greater reality, the big picture piece of who he is and what he has done. And that piece becomes the framework, the foundation that holds the day-to-day life and ups and downs together. Jesus continues, he says, you've heard me say to you, I'm going away and I will come to you. He says, if you love me, you would have rejoiced because I'm going to the Father for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place so that when it does take place, you may believe. This one is so interesting. Jesus tells them where he's going. They don't get it just yet, not exactly, but he's going to the Father. And that's a cause for rejoicing. Why? Well, have you ever seen those gut-wrenching, heart-moving, beautiful scenes where someone from the military, a mom or a dad, shows up and surprises their kids after like nine months of being gone. And no matter how you feel, you, you see it and you're like, good for you. That's just, that's so great. That's so awesome. I'm so happy for you. The disciples should feel that way. We're hurting that you're leaving, but we are so glad where you're going because you are going back to the Father. Remember what Jesus gave up? We're gonna talk about this at Christmas time. Jesus gave up so much, particularly the glory that was his with the Father. And he experienced the wrath of the Father, separation of the Father. He is now returning. This is a beautiful moment in scripture. We know where he's going and we can rejoice in that even though we're sad that his physical absence will not be with us. How does that belief secure us in his absence? It gives us cause to rejoice on his behalf. Remember, it's not all about us. And it's great to get outside of ourselves and to be joyful in someone else. How much more 
Jesus and where he is and how happy he must be being with the Father again. Jesus says, I will no longer talk much with you for the ruler of this world is coming, right? This is Satan. He has no claim on me, but I do as the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. The last two things here that we learn in this passage, specific beliefs. The first one is that Satan has no claim on Jesus. There is nothing that the evil one can say to accuse Jesus of sin. There is nothing he can do to take Jesus down from the throne upon which he sits because our Lord is perfect, righteous, and Ephesians 1 tells us this. He is ruling far above, not just above, but far above all rule, all authority, and all power. There is no one or nothing that can take Jesus down from the throne. How does that secure us in his absence? We can trust and we can rest that no evil, no Satan, nobody will be able to take from him what is his and from ours what he gives to us. There's no worries. Will it be there? Will someone break in and steal it? No, nobody will and nobody can. And the last thing that Jesus teaches them is that he is obeying the Father. Why is that important? Well, he's about to die on the cross. That doesn't look like obedience. That looks like disobedience. That looks like getting cursed and the wrath of the Father, but they need to know and they need to process what Jesus is about to do as an act of obedience to the Father. And the world needs to know that's what he's doing. He is obeying the Father to die for the sins of his people. Amen? Amen. Jesus is about to leave. And for us, as we look back, he's already left the earth, but he hasn't left us because he's given us his spirit and he has given us very specific beliefs to carry us through. So when you wanna give up, when you wanna quit, when you feel like the devil is chasing you with his pitchfork and smacking, you feel like you can't hold your shield of faith anymore, you remember these truths and you stand there. And if that's all you can do, or if you can't stand, you fall on these truths, if that's all you can do, then do that. Because that is the safe place and where you want to land. Here's what I wanna do now. I want us to respond with confession, not of sin, but of belief. This is something important I think we should do as a church and declaring the things we actually believe. And so there are 10 things here. We'll see it on the screen. And what I'd like to do, they might be too small. We'll do our best to try to read them. And I'd like for us to read them together. So if you're able, and if you believe this, would you say, is it still? Hello? Okay. The first one, say with me, Jesus We believe you are the only way to God the Father. Number two, Jesus, we believe you and the Father are one. Three, Jesus, we believe you are working through your church still today. Four, Jesus, we believe you hear our prayers in your name and do what is best with them. Five, Jesus, we believe in your commandments. Six, Jesus, we believe in the help of the Holy Spirit. Seven, Jesus, we believe you have left us your salvation peace. Eight, Jesus, we believe you are with the Father. Nine, Jesus, we believe the devil has no claim on you. And 10, Jesus, we believe you fully obeyed the Father. Do you feel weak as a Christian today? 
Find one of these that produces strength as you believe it. Stand on it. Write it down. Put it in your car. Put it on your mirror. Put it in your wallet. Text it to yourself. Whatever you need to do. Because these truths produce strength and perseverance in God's people. Amen? Amen. Let's pray together. Gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you that even though we can't see you or your son, we can see by faith where you are, the truth of what you have given us, and that you will not leave us as orphans, but you will come back to rescue us. Lord, we praise you. Father, we praise you, Son. We praise you, Holy Spirit. We praise you for the work as the true, saving, creating, redeeming, triune God that you are. Lord, encourage your people. For those who feel beat down, would you pick them up? For those who can't hold up their shield of faith, would you hold it for them? For those whose hearts are bleeding, Lord, would you bandage them up? For those minds that feel confused and battered and cloudy and foggy, Lord, would you, would you, would you move the clouds and bring sunshine as on a rainy day? Jesus, we need you. Thank you that you hear us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.